I'm Bill Gurley. I got to Silicon Valley in about 1997 and was fortunate enough to become a venture capitalist in 98. And the entire you know, first year of my career, I had zero interest in interacting with any form of government. It didn't seem necessary for what I was trying to do. I was working with founders and software and technology. I didn't see what it would bring me. Until one day where I ran into an issue, which I'll tell you about later, that required me to understand what was going on in Washington. So I checked in with a few advisors. They introduced me to this lawyer in D.C. Turns out D.C. lawyers do a lot of things that aren't lawyering. And, <laughs> and he listened to what I had. He said, I'll call you back. He calls me back. He says, Bill, I got exactly what you need. I found a congressman on the committee that matters to what you're talking about, and I can set up a meeting. I go, great, I'll fly out. He goes, no, 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 don't fly out. He's coming to you. I go, he's coming to me? That's pretty nice. He goes, do you have a conference room? I said, I'm a venture capitalist. We have lots of conference rooms. So he said, I need you to get some people together. And, and here's the catch. They need to bring $5,000 each. <laughs> Hung up the phone. Started thinking, all right, I got six people. We got board members, CEO, $5,000, $30,000. He called me back next week. How's it going? Great, I got six people, $5,000 ready to go. He goes, most of these meetings have 10 to 12 people. I said, Shit. <laughs> Like, now I'm inviting people that don't even have anything to do with this thing and, like, having to help them out. I'm up to 60K. I hang up. He called me back a week later. He goes, Bill, how's it going? I go, oh, shit. I got 12 people. You know, everybody's got a check. We're ready to go. I'm losing interest at this point. He goes, do, do they have spouses? I'm like, what kind of question is this? Do they have spouses? He goes, yeah, let's, let's have their spouses write $5,000 each. I go, our conference room's not big enough for the spouses. He goes, they don't have to come. This is a true story, by the way. True story. And it would go on to happen two more times in my life, and then I stopped meeting with congressmen. <laughs> the reason that I needed to engage relates to this company. My fourth VC investment was in a company called Tropos Networks. We had industrial-grade mesh Wi-Fi. You could mount it on a telephone pole and bathe the city in, in Wi-Fi, broadband. It, it was awesome. We were so excited about it. We were changing the world. It was disruptive. Google got excited about it. Earthlink got excited about it. But the customer I loved the most that got excited about were mayors. There are hundreds of mayors all over the country that wanted to provide free Wi-Fi service across their downtown area. It would help with public safety, economic development, and of course, digital divide. So we, we were so thrilled. I was so pumped. I was sure we had a winner here. And then one day, these two people got excited, which turned out not to be a good thing. This is Mayor Street of Philadelphia and his CIO, Diana Neff. They got just as excited as I did. They were idealistic. They were, you know, optimistic. Maybe they were quixotic. Maybe I was too. Because the next thing that happened is what caused me to get that meeting. You can't read this, but it says, lobbyists try to kill Philly wireless plan. And in the article, it says, Philly's plan to offer an inexpensive wireless internet service, the most ambitious yet, collided with commercial interest. Collided with commercial interest. There were no voters or citizens up in arms about this. Commercial interest. How many of you, I know this is a younger crowd, how many of you are old enough to remember Schoolhouse Rock? Awesome. So, like you, I learned about how Congress works by ABC Saturday morning television. And they told us, there's a phrase in this, I, I looked up the script, 
It said some folks back home wanted a law, so they called their local congressman, implying that the people that have the need are the citizens and the people that write the law are the congressmen. Imagine how surprised I was when I read this. Philadelphia was embarking on the research phase of the project when Verizon successfully pushed a bill through the state legislature. Verizon's writing legislation? How does that work? Now, it turns out this wasn't even our biggest problem because another company's headquartered in Philadelphia named Comcast. They had put a bill on Governor Rindle's desk, proposal drafted by lobbyists for the telecommunications companies. This isn't what I learned on Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> the governor whose bill that was on the desk of is Ed Rindle. He's on the right. Before he was governor, he was mayor of, of Philadelphia. The gentleman in the middle is named Michael Nutter. He would go on to replace Street and was a longtime council member. But the guy on the left was the real nemesis. This is David Cohen, chief lobbyist for Comcast. Now, David Cohen is to corporate lobbying what Bob Marley is to reggae. He's like, <laughs> there's just, there's no, there's no second. Uh, the New York Times did a profile of him called Comcast Real Repairman, in which they say he's the most important executive in the whole company, and I fundamentally believe that. Um, it also says he's probably one of the most savvy corporate political operatives in the history of U.S. business. The article on the right from the Inquirer calls him Philadelphia's most powerful unelected official. I don't even know how you can put those words together. <laughs> so here we are. Here we are in our little conference room with our spousal enhanced checkbooks. And this is like a second grader challenging Michael Jordan to a game on one-on-one -on -one for money. Like we, had, we were pissing in the ocean. We had no chance, no chance. Now guess who offers citywide Wi-Fi? That one's easy. Um, AT&T would join this fight. Within two years, they would outlaw municipal broadband in over 22 states. They'd just write it into the books and, and just took, took the power of these local decision makers away from them, all in the interest of the, of the, of the uh, commercial interest, not the citizen. I want to talk about another piece of telecom legislation. My, my, my partnership back in those days <laughs> invested in telecom equipment, and so we were very interested in the Telecommunications Act of 1996. This was heralded as the most important telecommunications reform in 62 years. Now, this one's simple. I'm just going to use the headlines from Wikipedia. The Telecommunications Act of 1996 had two goals, to promote competition and to encourage the rapid development of new technologies. Let's see how things went. <laughs> in 1996, the top four had 48% market share. Four, five years later, after this heralded legislation, they're up to 85%. That didn't work. Let's check in on the second one. Were they promoting innovation? This is a chart of VC dollars into telecom equipment. This used to be 15% of what VCs did. Um, within 10 years, it had gone below 1%, and a year later, the MVCA stopped tracking it. Now, if you want to talk to one of the expert VCs in 
telecommunications equipment, it'll be easy to do because they're retired. <laughs> this market's gone. There is no more innovation in telecom equipment. So what happens here? How can you possibly have a super important bill signed by and implemented by one of the most heralded presidents that we've, in our generation that doesn't just fail. Failing would be things stay the same and you don't accomplish the goal. This did, the, did even worse. It created the opposite thing of what it was supposed to go do. Let me introduce you to George Stigler. He's the 1982 Nobel Prize winner in economics and the father of regulatory capture. This is his most famous quote. As a rule, regulation is acquired by the industry and is designed and operated primarily for its benefit. I like to say, regulation is the friend of the incumbent. Quick audience interaction moment. That's the one thing I want you to take away. So on the count of three, scream, regulation is the friend of the incumbent. One, two, three. Regulation is the friend of the incumbent. Yes. <laughs> Amen. All right. So this, this is the only slide I have with bullets because this is going to be a two-minute regulatory capture 101, all from George Stigler's notes. The first thing he says, in regulatory capture, a special interest is prioritized over the general interest of the public. Sound familiar from my other stories? Leading to a net loss for society. A net loss for society. That's important. The two mechanisms they usually use is the second bullet. Um, limited market entry and price protection or even price increases, which I'll show you more of. And then the mechanisms of influence are money, made worse by Citizens United, exposure, just time around people, and then three, revolving doors. This is super important, and I'll show you one great example of that. That's people moving in and out. Uh, when they interviewed Christy on the pod the other day, they were talking about this in the military. All right. This is a piece of Morgan Stanley research from 1999. Someone took the time to go study five pieces of major U.S. legislation that had happened over the years and how the incumbent stocks did after the legislation. And let's just steal a few sentences from this. Um, conclude that landmark regulatory action is a tendency to improve returns for the largest players in the targeted industry. Long-term investors should consider capitalizing on any temporary weakness caused by market reaction to regulation. Many attempts to increase competition or improve customer experience have failed. This is reinforcing what Stigler taught us. Here's a very simple, quick one. Number of new banks in the U.S., 2009, nothing. Dodd-Frank. Like, that's what happens. All right, two really good stories. You might not even believe them because they're so outlandish. Does everyone know who Epic is? It's hard to know because they're not public. It's a very large private company in Wisconsin that is the largest player in medical EHR software, medical records. And this is their CEO, Judith Faulkner. Now, in, get the year right, 2009, Obama put her on his health IT council. She was the only corporate representative. Should not surprise you that um, she's a major donor to Obama. Now, Obama passed the American Recovery Act. That was his big piece of stimulus, kind of like Biden's Inflation Act that happened recently. 
And tucked underneath that, easy to hide in this big bill, is an act that was, the acronym's high tech. It's this health information technology thing. And then they created an agency called ONC that oversaw it. Now, this is the part you're not going to believe. They came up with a brilliant idea. I have to assume she helped encourage this. Um, doctors would receive $44,000 each if they bought software. $38 billion. This is true. You can look it up. I'm not making it up. $44,000, give it to a doctor, implement some software. For many of you run companies, that'd be pretty cool, right? The government passed a law. If they buy your software, they get money. Make it a lot easier. <laughs> now, you may be thinking, are doctors needy? But here's the catch. You remember, this happened because of the mortgage meltdown. Doctors own multiple homes, so they have multiple mortgages. So they, like... <laughs> They probably needed the assistant. Now, there's two more things about this act. They're also unbelievable. First, there's a, there's a flaw. If, if someone said, yeah, I'm going to pay people to buy software, most people would be like, well, you're going to have a problem. They're going to buy it, and they're not going to use it, right? Well, they thought of that. So guess what? The second phase, doctors got paid $17,000 more to prove they were using it. It was called meaningful use. Plastered all over the website of all the HR vendors at the time. It gets even better. So the, the ONC decided the threshold of features you would need for your software to comply with this mandate. And I'm assuming they kind of took Epic's feature set and plowed it into this spreadsheet. But they got the Department of Justice to enforce people that didn't have the feature set that were getting the payments, and you had three record fines, 155 million, 57 million, 145 million against the lesser competitors of Epic. Unreal. If you've studied uh, the innovator's dilemma, the way startups disrupt is they come in with lower feature products, but a, a feature that really matters to the customer and a simpler product, and they move up. They put a brick wall there, so you couldn't come up. Um, it's just amazing. Um, Obama, in an interview with Ezra Klein, said this was the most disappointing part of Obamacare. I mean, I think if any of us were in the room when they scratched this thing out, I could have told them that it would have failed. I mean, paying people to do stuff is just, it's not going to work. Now, you may ask, am I, am I unhappy with Judith? I'm disgusted with it. But, <laughs> but if I were a judge in the Olympic regulatory capture competition, I'm giving her a 10. <laughs> this is fantastic. Fantastic. All right, one more. Revolving doors. This is one more. So many of you know what this is. This is a, a COVID rapid antigen test. Now, this is based on a very simple piece of technology. Hopefully, David will, will confirm this when he comes back up, um, called a lateral flow assay. Now, this technology was developed 80 years ago in 1943, and it's a complete commodity. The, the packaging almost doesn't matter. You could probably use the strip without it. Now, before I tell you what happened in the US, let me tell you what happened in Europe. Germany leaned heavily into rapid tests. They got their scientists together, and they evaluated 122 different vendors 
and validated 96 of them. Here they are on the right, 96 different vendors that they okayed. And as a result, in the German market, you could buy five tests for 375 or 75 euro cents a test. UK leaned in as well. They, they got them in such numbers and so cheap, they, they distributed them to people's homes. So what was going on in the US? Around that time, the New York, the New York Times did a um, article like, here's what's going on with antigen tests. First of all, they fought them forever, and I, I think that may be captured as well, because the hospitals were making a ton of money on PCR tests. I think they, they made as much money as they did on vaccines, but that's another story. Here, it says all the manufacturings are ramping up production, but right now they're hard to find. And then it lists which tests are available, and they only list three vendors, Abbott, Elamu, Elamu I don't know, Elamu, and Quidel. Three vendors. Now, you can play along on your phone if you want to go on LinkedIn. This guy's name is Timothy Stenzel. <laughs> now, he works for the FDA, and he runs the group that oversees which antigen test gets approved. I know this because he would write scathing letters to the ones he rejected that you can also look up online. Now, guess what? You're not going to be surprised. <laughs> Five years at Quidel, four years at Abbott. It gets worse. President, <laughs> President Biden decided finally to lean into antigen tests and authorize $2 billion to go purchase tests. He should have gone to Germany and bought them out of the stores, but instead... <laughs> But, but instead, he, he bought them from these guys. Now, I don't know if you've ever used this test. All that packaging is complete and utter bullshit and unnecessary. That popsicle stick thing, like everyone else uses the lateral flow essay plastic thing that you can buy super cheap. This was over-engineered. Um, and, then, and then I got really pissed because the Wall Street Journal wrote an article that was a victory lap for Abbott's antigen test execution and how well they did in the market. And I've never met Brianna or Peter, but I, I hope they get to watch this because the first thing they should have done in the article was put a big picture of Timothy Stenzel because that's why this thing worked. And they, they, they write the eye-catching card on a lollipop stick as if, oh, it was so cute, everyone bought it. Like, If you tried to sell that thing in Germany, how many would sell? Zero. Like at $12 a test. Yesterday, I, just for kicks, kind of, I went online. This is Walgreens and CVS antigen test. There's seven tests. They're all exactly $23.99. What is that? That's not a marketplace. That's not open competition. Um, I also went on Boots, the, the famous UK. They're, the tests are about $1.50, $1.60 per today. So you have a 6x differential in these tests today. And by the way, I'm not even talking about the fact that our citizenry may have been, you know, much enhanced by having rapid tests at a much lower price if they were treated as the commodity they were. Of course they weren't. Now, Washington's got its eyes on Silicon Valley, and it's from both sides. We got Lindsey Graham, we got Elizabeth Warren. There's an article here that says, Majory Green agrees with AOC, breaking up big tech. And you say, why? Why, did, why are they so interested in tech? 
This is a poll of voters. Voters don't care. Voters are more worried about the industries where there's a lot of regulatory capture, but they want to come after tech. I think I know why. I think they want them in the system, like the military, like finance, like telecom. They want them in the system because there's money. Now, if Elizabeth Warren attacks big tech, you think they might go fund the competitor. And you probably can't read this, but this is open secrets. Spend time on open secrets. Four of the top 10 contributors to Elizabeth Warner, Alphabet, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon. You attack them, they have to come to you. Some of, the, some of our peers in Silicon Valley seem to want them to come too. I think they've read Stigler. Circle, please regulate us. <laughs> Brian's on later, so this is risky. The more regulation... <laughs> the more... I think he's right, by the way. The more regulation, the better for Coinbase. That's exactly what Stigler would say. <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg needs, wants, and must have regulation. I get it, Mark. And Sam's just getting started. He wants regulation, too. Now. There's a really scary thing in this AI space. The, the incumbents that are running to meet with all the government um, are spreading something that I don't think is accurate or fair. They're spreading a negative open source uh, uh, message. And I think it's precisely because they know it's their biggest threat. And I think what Meta's done with Llama 2 <laughs> is actually super interesting. All right, I'm gonna wrap up with three things, um, three takeaways. First. I'm not convinced we're very good at regulation. All four of the stories I told you were failures. Like, th they were a net loss for society, as Stigler says. This is a picture of Patrick Monahan, who was one of the best senators I think we've ever had. He kept a picture of a pen behind his desk as a reminder. He felt like Congress should have to have something similar to the Hippocratic Oath that doctors have, first do no harm. And the reason he has that point of view is he feels personally responsible for the homeless situation in America. He signed an act with JFK in 1963 that shut down the mental health institutions. It had a second piece that was supposed to prop something up. This happens with, with policy. Second part didn't happen, emptied out the mental health. And when everyone talks about the homeless problem, they should read this interview with him because they don't go back and talk about this issue, but it's very relevant. So I don't think we're very good at it. That's the first thing. Second, I think regulatory capture gives capitalism a bad name. A couple of people yesterday said, oh, we got to fix capitalism. I think where capitalism's broken is where the capture's the highest, right? Like I just showed you some examples. You've, you've seen these charts of price, you know, across time. And the highly competitive products coming out of Silicon Valley are dropping like crazy. It's healthcare and education and those kind of things where you have price increases. Lastly, one of my favorite authors is Matt Ridley, and these two books um, really cover the, the span of human time. And he talks about how three things, technology, commerce, and the sharing of ideas um, leads to prosperity for people, leads to increases in standard of living. And my big fear is that regulation is the opposite of this. It's a blocker to innovation. So if you care about prosperity and you kill innovation, you're gonna kill prosperity, from my point of view. So in closing, the reason I picked this title is Silicon Valley's 
2,851 miles away from Washington. And as these people put their eyes towards us, I would state the following. The reason Silicon Valley has been so successful is because it's so fucking far away from Washington, <laughs> D.C. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill fucking Gurley. Well, that was it. Highlight. I think we know the best. Let's all go home. I think the best, the best talk in the history of All In. And. And uh, we need to get it out there immediately so it can start going viral. And I think it will go very viral. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just a guy with some experiences and I put it together in the deck. And if you take from it whatever you get, that's where it's going to go. I think the regulatory capture is bad. So whenever, uh, whenever you, you have it, you got to run far, far away from it. Basically, this is what we do at All poker. Day. Girlie, let, we, let's, let, you, you put a pin in it. What's the solution? What can we do? I figured you'd go there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, the first it's, thing... Is politics an answer? Yeah. The, 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 the thing that's actionable, from my point of view, is just massive transparency. So I'd love to see what Open Secrets does be kind of mandated and way more transparent. Like, the minute a check lands, everyone knows. Put it on Twitter. Yeah. Exit. Yeah, whatever, right? Like, expose the hell out of it. Because there's a lot of... Like, those meetings I had don't show up as tropos. They show up as all those people. Like, there's a lot of obfuscation that's out there. I, I think that one's potentially solvable. Um, that was really the only thing I thought blockchain could handle. But anyway, that's just a side. Um, the, it gets trickier. <laughs> poor, poor Brian after, was watching it, it by gets, the way. <laughs> it gets trickier after that. One... Um, you guys talked about Christie with this when you were talking about the military-industrial complex. This rotating door thing is a massive problem. If you study, there are tons and tons of senators, presidential candidates that are in the Senate. They're out for two years, right. and then they come back with $12 million in their pocket. Right. And that's happening all over Washington all the time. And I don't know how, and, and Christie said it's impossible because they'd have to vote to stop this on their own. And I, I think Citizens United should go away. Right. But it, but it requires, it, it requires the same vote, you know? And Gurley, is the existing regulatory capture like entropy, it only goes in one direction? Or is it, feas is it feasible to unwind? Or it feels that way. I mean, yeah. one, one of the candidates you, you had on, or maybe two, were talking about like shutting down stuff. That ONC got shut down, which is actually kind of unusual and nice. Right. But yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't see there there have been attempts with with certain um, presidents, you know, in, well in the past of kind of deregulating. But but even if that's done by the regulators, like I'm not even sure that would totally. <laughs> How much of uh, oh go ahead, Sex. Well, I was gonna say, you know, on on AI, I, I think that what um, what was discussed at that hearing that. Sam Altman testified at, I think it's an existential threat to Silicon Valley because 
you know, what Sam proposed was, well, we're we should have a new regulatory agency, kind of like the Atomic Energy Commission, right. and we should have standards before AI software can get released and it gets vetted, and we'll help you write the standards. You remember all Damn this? Straight they will. And the reaction <laughs> with pleasure. And the reaction of the politicians, I remember like all these senators were quoted saying, Wow, this is such a nice young man. This is <laughs> this is not like the other tech CEOs who've been testifying up here basically, you know, uh, defying us, you know, how do we work with this person? And they were saying all these nice things about him. But the reason why I think this is an existential threat is because the cutting edge of all software development right now is AI. You look at what every software company is doing. Yeah. AI is now part of their roadmaps. So if you subject AI to regulation, you're basically turning software into the next big pharma or into the next you know, military industrial complex. Washington will run the software industry and everything we do in terms of funding these little startups you know, these companies with, you know, um, fresh ideas, it'll just be over. The government's no going to do a code no reveal. industry. Well, that's similar to what happened with that. that there, was a, there was an Excel spreadsheet in that EHR example of the features you had to have in your product. Like, can you imagine the government, like, yeah. mandating features of a software yeah, product? I got some product managers going to Washington getting approval for where, yeah. what they add to the product. Another answer... Um, might be just uh, to your original question, David, is just awareness. So getting people more aware and hopefully this I'm kind right. of thing can help. Um, I think knowing what committees <laughs> your legislators are on and when they're traveling to visit other states and other yeah. companies and stuff that have nothing to do with your local you know, situation they're supposed to be looking after, that'd be helpful. Right. But, but once again, the people that you think it's just the to, to mandate this are the ones doing it. Is it just the nature of government that it has to scale with time? That it, 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 because you, we, we all think about the government sitting outside of a market, but the government is a player in the market. They consume capital and they distribute capital. And the US federal government now is the largest consumer and distributor of capital in the history of humankind, of, of, of our civilization. I fear, and, and you had Dalio's charts of decline, you know, I fear that this is one of those things that causes the decline. And I fear that, that democracy and capitalism, you know, will kill each other over time, you know, for this very reason. Um, okay. I might point that we study the UK a little bit more. They've kind of gone longer <laughs> than most societies do. They have some clever policies like losing party pays, which causes one-tenth of the uh, litigation that we have. Yeah. And so I, I wonder if there's something to learn from, from our, um, our previous the, ancestors. The, the thing when you dip your toe into that world that is shocking is it's the low, how low the threshold is of the dollars it takes to actually influence <laughs> it's hundreds of billions of dollars of laws <laughs> getting written. And that's where you also see some of this wrong-mindedness because you can get any Tom, Dick, and Harry to co you know, cobble together enough money to get in front of that senator or that congressperson, and all of a sudden you see it reflected in law. It's shocking, actually. I was talking, some of you know David Crane, who, um, who, who's an operative in California helping people try and get things done. And I asked him about this, and he said the one thing you have to keep in mind is that is the duration of how long that person's going to be there so someone from silicon valley has a problem they run to washington and they think they get one meeting but are they coming back or, you right. know the teachers union is going to be there for a hundred years right so if you cozy up to them it's forever it's forever money right. yeah why'd you do this personally what i do this yeah 
You're just frustrated, just, like, just, like. <laughs> You're mad as hell. <laughs> Anders are powerful. I mean, you know, you, you've worked on this for a while, this, yeah. this presentation. I saw an early draft. It was clearly coming together. It's something you've been thinking about a long time. Long time. I, I've kept notes on it for 15 years. Every time I see something, I write it down. Yeah. And you're at a point in your life now where... Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I probably can't get a meeting in Washington now. <laughs> I mean... I have trouble with investment banks also. What, um... <laughs> you, saw, you saw the guys um, before talking about energy. Um, it's a huge industry. There's enormous amounts of regulatory capture and, yeah. um, and lots of manipulation of laws in that sector. Um, from that perspective and that lens, are you pro-fusion and uh, the possibilities of fusion? Sure. Not less, less technologically, more. Yeah, well, not just fusion, but, but fission. I just retweeted something like an hour ago. Apparently, they're going to, they, one of the, the plant, one of the fission plants that's been shut down in America, they just voted to Restart. reinstate, yeah. which is a Incredible. great, you know, a progress. great, great we, progress. We turned around the anti-nuclear sentiment in what, five years, it seems like? Hopefully, but there's a long way to go because one of the reasons fission is so expensive in the U.S. and way more expensive than China is the regulatory, regulatory burden exactly. that and we China's have. China's building here. 400 nuclear fission power plants right now. Yeah. That's their plan. That's their 20-year plan. It's not just in China. And if you, look at the, if you look at the antigen testing, imagine what the complexity of them. Well, no, this is what I, but, but this is what I want to ask you is like, you know, these large energy generators, the, the existing utilities, what is their incentive to not try to pull a Comcast when they see Bob and David close to the finish oh, line? Oh, you have to imagine that the oil and gas industry has been doing that this whole way. Right. right. Yeah, I would assume. For traditional nuclear, yeah. Yeah, for traditional yeah. nuclear. Yeah, so I would This time I would you see them coming. Maybe. I would, I wonder, and I say this with a lot of naivete, I wonder if, if you could use open source around fission um, to try and lower the cost of building it and, and try and get more consistency Well, the big design. Achilles heel in energy, as an example, where it's impossible to, to capture regulatorily, is that the big opening they left is that every individual here can become their own utility and they're subject to no oversight. And so the real question is, to your point, if an open source or some very small modular reactor can be put in the hands of every individual and then they can make an individual decision, that's very hard to regulate. But in the solar market, which I know you spend a lot of time in, the rules on whether or not you can run that's power right. back in and at what that's rate right. That's right. are arbitrary across the that's entire right. country. That's very right. Guys, um, I know I speak for everyone when I say that this has been an unbelievable highlight and a real treat. Bill, thank you so much for doing Thanks this. Thanks, everyone. Incredible, Bill. Oh, wow. Wow. I'm going all in with your beak. With your beak. With your beak. I'm going all in. And it said we open source it to the fans and they've just gone crazy with it. Love you, Ice Queen of Just get a room and just have one big huge orgy because they're all just useless.
Where's your feet? Where's your feet? Where's your feet? We need to get merch. Besties are back. I'm doing all